Welcome to another episode of The Raven Narratives. I'm Tom Yoder. And I'm Sarah Severson, and we're the co-producers of The Raven Narratives. The stories you're about to hear were told at our Story Slam in June at Fenceline Cider in Mancus, when the theme was animals. Story Slam events feature willing audience members who tell their stories on stage that are related to the theme. And this one was fantastic. (laughs) Our first storyteller of the evening at Fenceline Cider was Ted Packard. I'm one of those people who took a ticket from someone who lives in Mancus tonight, I'm sorry. I live up the Animus River Valley, about three miles north of Durango, on the east side of the valley, which means we get sunlight right now around 9.30 in the morning. And when I moved here, with my partner. I'm also someone who moved here in October, so I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. When we drove, when we drove down Highway 550, not knowing we were even going to live here, and we saw these purple rocks on the east side of the valley, I freaked out. And this was after hours of freaking out, going over Red Pass, and before that there's Ray, and the whole time we're like, ah! Like, we're actually yelling like that in the car, like, ah, ah, do you see that? Oh, I see that. Do you see that? I see that too. It's, oh, my God. Because ah. the earth is red here. It's not red where I come from. <laughs> and so I saw these purple rocks, and I was like, have you taken a picture of those purple rocks? And she's like, yeah, sure, I got, I got a picture. There's, we have 75. Five million pictures of red and purple rocks. I was like, no, those rocks over there. Get a picture of those rocks over there. And that's where we ended up living, is underneath those rocks. And when we moved in, we were really fortunate we were given a trail cam. And we right away put it right outside our back deck and just aimed it right at those hills. We were like, this is, I want to know who's right outside our door. And Almost right away, we started getting red fox and gray fox. And we didn't get bobcat, but Annika saw a bobcat, so that counts. And that counts like (laughs) 7,000%. And finally, one night, we got this big, burly black bear that was just like... like ready for winter, super big. And I think it was the second time we caught it on the trail cam, it walked closer to the house where there used to be a little garden bed. And there was one rotting squash left from the the previous fall. And without breaking its stride, it's like... So... Through the winter, our trail cam decided it didn't like the cold and it stopped working. But we would go out in the feet of snow that were rising up and we would look and we would be looking for tracks. And through the winter, it was mostly coyote. Um, I didn't mention coyote before. Sometimes we would get one coyote through, sometimes two. 
at the same time. And the whole winter, we were having this conversation, like, when is the bear going to come back? When does the bear come down from wherever it's hiding and whatever it's doing? And we kind of, we talked about having a bet in the house between her and me and our housemate. We were like, what do you think it's going to be? And we were like, three weeks from now? This was like April. We were like, like or May, or, or March maybe. We were like, three weeks? Is it a few weeks? Snow's going away? Because we, we came from far away. So bears act different here. And it was only a few weeks ago that our neighbor who shares a driveway was like, oh yeah, the bear? Yeah, it knocked over the compost and it was licking the grill last night. <laughs> and we had to yell at it. And I yelled at it and my husband came and the bear had gone away. And he was like, why'd you yell at it? I wanted to see it. So the bear was back and the bear, you know, was knocking over our trash can and their baby diapers were on the... And I was like shoveling them with a snow shovel to get it back. And I was like, that's, that's baby poop. It's smeared on the driveway. Glad it rained a little bit. And the bear came through and announced its return in this spectacular fashion by tromping straight through the middle of this garden bed. Straight through the middle of it. Just like deep, like four inch deep tracks in it. And then it kept going a little bit further and it went down this vertical rock wall to land in a lower garden bed. Like it landed in the corner of that garden bed and walked straight through the middle of it, leaving like seven to 34 inch deep (laughs) tracks that are just gorgeous bear tracks. Absolutely gorgeous. And it was hilarious because it's our housemates bed that I was watering and it was like the day after he left to go on a trip for a couple weeks and so we were like hey the bear came (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we were a little worried like what's this bear going to do is it going to eat everything we plant we don't know but looking at the trail cam pictures of it it was so skinny I'm not positive it's the same bear it's probably the same bear its belly that was down to here is now like way up here and it's got that old winter coat that's really raggedy looking and like kind of falling out and it's not like now it's like and the night after it got through not even to the story yet they know this is a problem So, really good friend of ours has been living a really intentional life, learning traditional ways of of being. And he came to us and he said, I need to plant corn. I need to plant corn in a few different places so the strains don't cross. Can I plant corn with you? We're like, yeah, let's plant corn at our house. Come over. He comes over. We dig beds together. We do all this great prep work. And I had to leave. So, when I come home, I get to hear from my partner, Annika, she's like, oh, he did this really great thing. He like, he had all these specific words and there were, you know, we, he was like, oh, we, yeah, we need to ask permission of this. And I'm not even gonna, I can't in a minute out how weird we are, but (laughs) a small piece of it is that 
Um, I was like, oh, asking permission, yeah, we get, okay, cool. And Annika's like, yeah. So I had to leave and go talk to the mountain for like half an hour and like asking permission and was like, we really want to do this. Is that okay? And um, we don't need to have it all. We don't want to put up fences. Um, so like you, the animals can have some of it, but not all of it. We kind of want some of it because um, we're going to plant corn and squash and beans. And... They saved one little plot of these beautiful little, like, temples, these, like, dry land corn mounds in this, like, 15 by 10 plot. They saved one of them for me to plant when I got home. So I go out, I plant it, and it looks gorgeous, and we go home. We go back to the house, and this is on the trail cam. The next day I'm looking at it, and I'm like, oh, there we are, walking out to plant some corn and beans. In the morning, we walk out to check on the babies. And, of course, there are no babies. And because they don't grow overnight like that. That's later in Corn's life. And actually, Annika went out to check. And she comes in and she says, you have to see what's going on in the bed. And so I walk out. And in this little temple plot on the northeast corner which was the beginning and the end of the whole planting cycle the one they saved for me there's just this little it's not little it's enormous by little I mean pressed a centimeter down into the earth is the right front paw of a bear and because I'm maybe weirder than you. I think that's a blessing. Thanks, Ted, for telling that story. Our next storyteller at the Raven Narrative's Animal Story Slam at Fenceline Cider in Mancus, Colorado, was Andrew Phillips. All right, so um, I started traditional and natural building back in the 90s. Um, I know a number of you in the room here. But I've been on the road for about oh, five, six years doing just uh, traditional restoration preservation for the various states and park service. And about four years ago, the state of Colorado was working on a project up by Greeley. And um, it's an old trapper's fort and it was falling apart. And the project manager asked me, he said, okay, so what can we do to uh, increase the longevity of the coating on the, on the structure? I was like, well, you know, there's a traditional technique of using cow shit. He was like, hmm, okay, interesting. So, you know, I've done it a few times and, you know, it's a stinky process. But, you know, we're out on the plains here, so we might be better served to try something more vernacular. He's like, what do you think? And I'm like, oh, bison shit. He's like, all right, all right, yeah, okay. So uh, one of the volunteers at the park, obviously, knew a guy who had some bison. So, okay, all right, let's go. So we uh, jumped in the truck. We took a couple guys, a couple buckets, some shovels, headed out north of Greeley. And uh, we run into this farm, and we pull up, and the guy meets us with an ATV, and he's like, I hear you're the guy's looking for some cow shit. I'm just like, no, bison shit. He's like, bison shit? All right, what the hell's wrong with you? Okay, sure, we got that here for you. Okay, all right. So uh, he cruises over this knoll, over this ridge line, and we drop down, and we see about a 100-acre enclosure that's all fenced off, and there's about 50, 60 head 
of bison. And he was like, so you need some bison shit? And I was like, yeah, I need it to be green and drippy and stinky, you know, fresh, fresh bison shit. He's like, yeah, okay, all right, sure, okay. can help you with that. <laughs> so I said, so, but I have a question. I see the six-foot-high fence around the structure here, around the 100 acres or so, so... Is that for your safety or to keep the bison in? He's like, both. I said, so how would you suggest I go in there? He's like, I don't know, son. You must be stupid because I only go in that John Deere. That's it. <laughs> so, all right. So I gave it a go. So I said, okay, what can you do to give me a hand here? He said, well, I can jump in the John Deere and go to the far end of the enclosure, and I can draw him over. I said, okay, that sounds like a good idea. But he's like, I'd have one of your guys keep an eye so they move quick. So when you go in there... He'll keep an eye and holler if one of these guys or two of these guys come, come sauntering on over rather quickly. Okay, all right. So he goes into the John Deere, goes to the far end of the pen. Most of the bison follow him. It's 100 acres, big piece of land, and a lot of, a lot of head cruising through there. Um, so <laughs> I went in with my several buckets and a shovel with bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, start scooping the green, stinky, drippy, you know, just right in the buckets. And uh, in a matter of five minutes, one of the guys right at the fence line, hey, Andrew, you might want to turn around and take a look. Turned around and saw some bison off in the distance. I was like, oh, they're a good ways away. They're not, they're not you know, a cow, you know, they move slow. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> what could go wrong, you know? Come on, we're good. <laughs> so, well, sure enough, within a couple minutes, he's like, okay, Andrew, out now. And I turn around, I see two trotting rather quickly right directly at me and these guys are moving okay I don't know I'd never had experience with bison until this moment in time but these two were moving right at me so I turn around grab the buckets sprint off to the fence line through the buckets through it and I dove on through and uh, as soon as I turned around they were two uh, two bison right at the fence line they're just staring right down at me snorting and you could see all the fur and it was just a bad old scene um, and so then about a year later, uh, a production company hit us up to do a reality TV show for this kind of work that I've been doing. And they wanted to shoot a sizzle reel of, uh, you know, our more um, colorful experiences. So I, they asked me what was one of the most colorful experiences that they could get on film. And I was like, well, there's a couple incidents that come to mind, one in particular. And I told it to them, and they wanted to shoot it, and I staunchly refused, and... <laughs> That's when they dropped me, so that's that. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. That was an awesome story. The next storyteller up at the Raven Narratives Animals Story Slam in Mancus was Amy Wise. Okay, so I was an archaeologist for many years, and I started out doing a survey with a gentleman out by Cross Canyon, which is in what's now the monument, and over by the Utah border. And it's very remote. It was just the two of us surveying 14 square miles for four months, camping out together, not wanting to be near each other as soon as we're done for very long. But uh, anyhow, we... We're in the canyon all day long surveying and we come up out of the canyon up onto the top to where we have our tents and we position our tents quite a ways away from each other 
because we see each other every day for four months. And um, every time we come up out of the canyon, there we could hear often that not too distance, far distance, would be a mountain lion cry. And it sounds like the woman crying. Um, and every single day we'd come up and we'd hear the cry. And then when we go back down in the canyon, on top of our footprints would be the mountain lion paws from the day before, you know, fresh paws on our old footprints. footprints. So we, you know, they're very curious about us. This made my uh, fellow archaeologist very, very nervous. So he contacted the local pot hunter right next to where we were camping, who had many, many, many guns. <laughs> and he got, he got uh, what he thought was the best gun. It was a little handgun. I don't know about guns, but it was like this big, and the mountain lion's like that big, and <laughs> pretty sure he's going to either shoot me or shoot himself or really piss off the mountain lion. So they wanted, I didn't accept a gun. I thought I'd be safer running away from him. <laughs> and so we come, we come up out of the, every day we come up out of that canyon and we'd hear the mountain lion. Every day we go back down and there's the paw prints. Well, not too long after this, a couple weeks in, we have a mama and a baby mountain lion just walk right past our tents every night. It's just the two of us in a remote area. Um, they never bothered us. They'd walk right by, and it was the most amazing thing. Um, but one night of coming out of the canyon and a very long day of survey, several weeks in, very exhausted, um, I lay down in my tent um, quite a ways away from my friend with the gun, <laughs> and um, who's afraid of everything that has fur and uh, walks around in the woods. So I knew I was safe. I'm not very furry. And um, I was in the tent, sound asleep, exhausted, and we parked our cars very close to our tent because, you know, there's you know, that's our only privacy, you know, you open the two doors and pee in between there or whatever, you know, <laughs> not a lot of privacy, so it's close to my tent, and um, I'm sound asleep, and I usually have my head pressed up against the back of the tent be, to stay cool, it's cooler that way, and all of a sudden, I wake up, and on the back of my head, in between the back of the tent and my head was, or on the other side of the tent, on my head, I felt every single paw, pad, every single claw, and it covered the entire back of my head. I tried to call out to my friend way down there with the gun. Nothing comes out. 
I think all these scenarios go through my head. How fast does a mountain lion really run? I mean, can I, can I get to the edge of the tent, unzip it, and get into the car before it gets me? Mm, pause on the back of my head, probably not. Um, all these scenarios, and I'm like, okay, one of the things I heard was always try to be calm. Well, this is not an easy thing to do when a pause on the back of your head um, in the middle of the night, and the gun's all the way over there. So, um, ran through all the scenarios, pretty sure it was not going to make it out alive. This was my best shot to just stay right where I was and hope that everything's okay. So about 15 minutes go by, and the paw is still on the back of my head. But by then I realized, it's not gonna hurt me. I mean, right? It's been there for 15 minutes, it's not gonna hurt me. Then it starts to go very slowly, never hurting me, down the back of my head in a Z shape. And then it just left. It wasn't on the back of my head anymore. So 15 minutes later, I figured, well, it's not bugging me. I went back to sleep. <clears throat> I wake up the next morning. I go around the back side of my tent. And there has, there's this uh, Indian rice grass all around the back side of the tent that was tall. And it's all, and there's a little baby mountain lion, basically, uh, where it bedded down at the back of my tent, took a little nap, stretched out to see what was over there. It's a little Amy. It's no big deal. She's not going to hurt me. <laughs> I don't think I need the guy with the gun. I think I'm okay. So um, I've had many, many wildlife stories my whole entire career, but um, uh, I don't think any of them beat that one. <laughs> so... Thanks, Amy, for telling that story. <laughs> Our next storyteller at the Raven Narratives Animal Story Slam at Fenceline Cider in Mancus was Kelly Pettigen. Uh, so it was the rainy season in the Bolivian jungle, and I was going to leave Leo. I liked him, I loved him even, but um, he was starting to get aggressive and I could have the marks on my, my arms to show for it. So it was time to go. Uh, you see Leo, or Leoncio, was a three-year-old uh, male puma and it was my job to walk him through the jungle for eight hours a day. He had been, um, his mom had been shot <coughs> by poachers and he had been sold to a family and as a pet, and as he grew up to be a wild animal, they had um, beaten him so, so hard that his uh, back leg had broken in three places. So he was going to live at Intawariasi, uh, which is a wildlife animal sanctuary where I worked. And so it was my job to walk him for eight hours a day uh, with my partner, Michael, who's an 18-year-old Danish guy. And at Intawariasi, we had a, um, a logo, uh, Todo es posible, nada es seguro. Anything is possible, uh, nothing is safe. And um, it, 
And it was super, super true. So anyway, um, lots of stories about Leo, but um, at the end of the day, I'm not really a cat person. Like, I'm a monkey person. And so uh, when the opportunity came to go and volunteer with the monkeys, I jumped on it. So the monkey volunteers had this problem. They had um, a troop of monkeys. They're spider monkeys who are about this big um, and big and like black guys, like um, maybe like 18, 20 pounds. Um, and they're up at Monkey Hill, and they had a, um, a troop of them. It was all females, and there was one male. And the male, Teho, was a little, like, not totally mentally stable, so he had to be tethered. And um, he got to swing around, but he was kind of, you know, he was uh, tethered. Um, but the females could do what they want. But uh, they had two wild male monkey, m m wild um, spider monkeys that were coming down and trying to get aggressive because they wanted um, Teho's females. So they had the big bad monkey watch. Um, so they needed help from 6 a.m. Um, dawn until 8 until the monkey volunteers came to come and like scare away these wild monkeys that were coming and trying to steal um, Teho's female uh, monkeys. So the morning came and it was my turn to like go volunteer. So I grabbed my Spider-Man backpack and I cruised up to the jungle and I'm like walking up there and um, I get up to the little side and there's this over um, this shelter and uh, Teho is kind of like drunkenly like swinging in the background and he like screeched hello and I said what's up and I kind of settled in and the monkey volunteers basically said don't worry like as long as you show up like you'll be fine they're scared of you but um, one of them as he was walking away he like slid me some like Chinese firecrackers and he said well just in case so I was like all right so we get up there, and I start to take a nap because everything's like fine and chill. And five minutes later, you can hear this like crashing through the jungle. And I look up, and you can't see, and the light's just starting to show like through the trees. And sure enough, you see these like two big shadows like crashing through the jungle. And they're really high up, and they're coming down. <clears throat> and so I start to yell at them like, "Hey, I'm here! Like, get out of here!" doesn't slow them at all, like they keep coming down. And then I realized like, well, like duh, like they don't speak English. So I started like yelling in Spanish at them, like little monkey taunts, you know? <laughs> Get out of here. Um, still it doesn't slow them down at all. Like they're just crashing through and they're getting lower, like they're really high up now, they're getting lower to the jungle floor. So I remember the Chinese firecrackers. So I pull them out of like my Spider-Man backpack and I start to light them but it's the freaking like wet season, like everybody is just, you're just drenched, right? So I light one, I light two, and like nothing. And at this point, these guys, the two monkeys are like pretty much on the jungle floor, and there's this big open clearing in front of us, and they're creeping up. And so I don't want to do it. I love animals, like don't yell at me. But I picked up a rock, and I started throwing a couple rocks at them. And I made sure like not to hurt them, like not to hit them. Um, but it didn't stop them. Like, well, it did stop them, but they still stepped like creeping up. So this time, like I picked up a rock, and I'm like, and I threw it, and I made sure I hit one of them. Because I was like, this is my only job, is to protect this like crazy monkey behind me. Like, because I had one job. <laughs> so I threw it at him, and I did. I hit him. And they froze, and they screeched at me, and they froze. I was like, oh, all right, well, this worked, you know? Like, at least if I can, like, keep this truce, you know, between these monkeys and the crazy monkey behind me, like, I'll do my one job, you know, for this monkey watch. So I'm still, like, holding another, like, rock in my hand when the capuchins come. And if you know anything about capuchins, they're much smaller monkeys, are about this big, and the capuchins that were at our animal refuge were um, pickpockets in La Paz, 
And so they were brought to our place, and they knew humans, and they knew, like, what we had. So they come sauntering up. El Jafe is in the front, and he immediately, like, grabs my Spider-Man backpack before I have a chance to do anything. He unzips it. He starts ripping out, like, tampons and water bottles, and, like, my headlamp, like, goes flying through the air. And I start to yell at him. Meanwhile, he's, like, he, un- he undid a... Um, bug spray and started like chugging it but fortunately it was natural they told us before we come like only bring so it was eucalyptus and he lived you know spoil alert he was fine but one of his little like monkey like buddies meanwhile grabbed my headlamp and ran up a tree to a branch right above me and he was just biting it and playing with it so you saw the light going on and off and like flashing so I try to like you know cajole like come on give me my headlamp come on because they were pretty precious in the jungle but he was having none of it. So finally, like, I knew what I had to do. Didn't want to do it, but I, I grabbed my Spider-Man backpack and in a secret zipper, I unzipped and I pulled out a blue package of um, Oreo cookies. And immediately, every single capuchin there like, knew what that, black, that blue backpack was. So I offered this blue like, pack of Oreo cookies to this monkey and sure enough, he dropped my headlamp he grabbed the Oreo cookies, and he's munching it. I put the headlamp in my, my pocket, feeling good, you know, like, outsmarted the capuchins, like, got these wild monkeys figured out. And sure enough, the, the monkey that had been up, um, you know, eating my headlamp, he came down, he ran up the back uh, or along my, my side, and he sat on my shoulder, and he started preening me. And I was like, monkey sign of respect. Like, I pretty much showed him what's up. <laughs> Two seconds later, after he's done preening me, he runs back down in his skinny little monkey hand. He grabs a headlamp out of my pocket and goes right back up to the branch. This time I have nothing to convince him to like give me back my headlamp. So he just bites it and rips it and like pieces of it are falling. And I'm just watching like there's nothing I can do. So this was a situation when the monkey volunteers like came up. Like, my Spider-Man backpack was in the middle. There's like my stuff all over the place. The capuchins are just like taking control. But the two wild uh, spider monkeys are still sitting in the clearing and I'm still holding this rock, you know? And so I breathlessly tell them like, don't worry, like I saved the day. Like the monkeys are over there and yeah, the capuchins, you know, but whatever. And so they looked at me, these two volunteers, and then they looked over at the wild monkeys and then they looked back at me and they said, Well, that's Juanita, and that's Maria. Like, those are our monkeys, and they're females. Like, (laughs) and then another, the other volunteer who was Australian said, and you threw a rock at him? (laughs) And so, like, defeated, I just kind of, like, dropped the rock, and, like, I pick up my stuff, and I just headed back down the trail to the relative safety of my puma. So that was my story. Thank you, Kelly, for sharing that story with us. The next storyteller up at the Raven Narrative's Animal Story Slam in Mancus was Dylan Livingston, our youngest storyteller. Hi, I am Dylan Livingston, and this was a very scary moment for me because my cat Gato was face to face with a rattlesnake. 
Um, I went outside and I heard a rattle outside my door and I'm like, oh my gosh, what is that? And um, my cat Gata was just staring at something that a uh, rattlesnake was very camouflaged and I finally find this rattlesnake. I'm like, oh my gosh, and I ran back inside and told my dad he didn't believe me the first time and then I literally screamed at him and then he believed me and he came back outside and he got his gun he shot the rattlesnake and then a couple days later the rattlesnake body was still moving on the porch and I was very scared and then our cat lollipop our other cat she took the snake and I had to pick it back up and put it back on the front porch without a shovel with my bare hands. And that was kind of creepy. <laughs> and a couple days later, we could not find Gato. I'm like, what happened to Gato? And I figured he was getting old. He had teeth problem and he just went off and died into the woods, and I'm like, hopefully that rattlesnake did not do it, and he just died on his own. So I'm like, oh, thank gosh. I hope that rattlesnake did not do that. <laughs> and that was, that's the end of my story. Big shout out to Dylan for telling that great story. Our next storyteller at the Raven Narrative Story Slam at Fenceline Cider in Mancus, Colorado was Tom Buffalo. My name's Tom Buffalo, and I did not provide the raw material for the earlier. Storytellers Restoration Project. Uh, we live uh, about five miles southwest of Mancus on Road G. We have a house and an airstrip and a couple of ponds on the other side. We don't have any pets, so we have incredible access to the animals. Uh, nothing to chase them off. Year before last, we had four adolescent foxes that would come play every day on our patio. And we have a lot of geese uh, in the pond, but we have two geese that we're sure are the same couple that have come for four years in a row. We know they're the same two geese, because they always stand in the same place relative to each other, and they're never more than four feet apart. My wife's uh, daughter is married to Eric, and Eric's parents are Jim and Ermgard. Jim and Ermgard are in their 80s, and uh, they're never more than four feet apart. So we named, we named these two geese, Jim and Ermgard. <laughs> last year, they had had babies before, but last year they had six that we saw from new hatchlings to all the way 
flying away. And every bit of their development we could see every day, including when they finally got to a point they could learn to fly. And they would jump off the bank at the edge of the pond into the water and finally got to where they could flap their wings and go a few feet. And we saw them to the point where, uh, uh, you know, they could fly the entire length of the pond. One day, Jim had a foot, one of Jim's feet was like this, and he limped for the rest of the summer, and we were pretty sure Jim had been defending his family against one of the foxes. But anyway, we saw them fly away one day, join up with a group of geese, and off they went. They're not back this year for the first time, and we just hope they found a good home. Thank you, Tom, for telling that story. Our final storyteller at the Raven Narratives Animal Story Slam in Mancus at Fenceline Cider was Chad Close. For me, a long time ago, like in another life, I was a wilderness instructor in Arizona a lot. Um, and I spent a lot of time in some wild canyons there with Prescott College uh, with funny names like Wet Beaver Creek is one of them. Uh, <laughs> for real, it's there. Off the Colorado Plateau, drains into the uh, Verde River. Um, West Clear Creek. Um, and one, this particular one is called Tonto. And if you've never been there, uh, I'm not going to advise it <laughs> unless you're really prepared. It's a... Um, Super steep, super slick granite canyon, no trails. Um, and so with Prescott College, you would kind of like lead courses and then maybe over time you become a course director. So this year, I was a course director and I had three groups in the field. Um, I'm gonna slow down a little bit. And uh, it was kind of a tricky year. My girlfriend was working, she was gonna be a course director too, but then her course area got kind of canceled, so she was one of my instructors. So that was an interesting dynamic. Um, and she's a powerful woman, some of you know her. <laughs> um, uh, so so we had the, I had these groups in the field and we had a kind of a cool situation where we'd have these groups and we'd meet for a resupply after about seven days and then we'd uh, have a big party. Um, we had this great disco dance that year. Um, lots of costumes. This one guy came out of nowhere with this full frog suit. He just showed up and he had carried it in his backpack. <laughs> Uh, for seven days, and he just busted out from behind a van. Um, uh, and we, uh, and, to, and to accomplish all this, we used these big 15-passenger vans. And so I was all over this area um, doing evacs for people who got injured, taking them water if they had some kind of weird situation. Um, and so after this resupply, my girlfriend's group had some injured people, and they were going into Tonto Canyon which was the hardest course area Prescott College does. It's, um, it's all steep and rocky, but they've also had a bunch of fires around there. And so the water isn't clear anymore. The water runs gray and murky, and you're walking in the water with a big pack on uh, a lot of the time. So 
we arranged to pick up this group a little early. And, you know, Preston College has been doing this stuff forever, and there's maps, and there's data, and there's stuff written on all the maps, and it tells you where you can get groups in and get them out. And, of course, I ignored all that evidence and data from my peers and my ancestors in the, in the organization. And I saw this road that went to an old homestead, and I was like, I can get you guys out there. I'll just go get you there. I'll drive the van down there, and I'll get you out. So... Um, the other thing that I've gotten a lot better at over the years, but of course I was really late getting there. It's gotten much better. Uh, but so it's, you know, probably nine o'clock at night and I'm just starting down this road. To, now we were gonna leave the next day, so I was supposed to meet him and stay the night, leave the next day. Of course, um, I drove this 15 passenger van way further down this sketchy Jeep road than you should ever drive a two wheel drive van. Um, but luckily managed to just kind of like something just was speaking to me and I was like, I should stop. I should just stop. And so I managed by like a 35 point turn to get the van turned around and pointed back up the hill and I just locked it and I figured I can get it out of here. It's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine. I still had like two or three miles to hike to get to the group where they were supposed to be down at the, down at the bottom of the canyon. Um, but I just put on my pack and put on my headlamp and started walking. Now, if you've ever walked at night, I don't know if this is true for any of you, I'm 45 years old, I'm a strong, capable man, I'm still spooked to walk at, at night by myself. It's just spooky. Um, and, and if you've ever been out in the backcountry, you know that there's a big difference between like a full moon and a new moon. So this was a new moon, super dark. Um, so, and I had like three miles to hike by myself, and I thought like, like I'm, a, I'm a wilderness instructor, I've done this stuff, I'm cool, it's fine. So I'm about a mile and a half into the hike, and I've been doing great. I've been, like, navigating the fear, not turning at every little sound, you know. My headlamp's on sometimes, but mostly off, and I'm just, I can see the kind of the white sand of the, of the Jeep trail as I go. But then I hear a sound, and it's in a tree. It's like the scrabbling of animals in a tree, right? And, and so I turn on my headlamp, and I look over, and it's a little far away, maybe 20 or 30 yards. And I see three sets of glowing yellow, green, yellow eyes. And they're mountain lion cubs. Pregnant pause. <laughs> so it's cool, right? I haven't seen a mountain lion any other time in the wilderness, and I've spent a lot of time in the wilderness. But uh, the obvious question is, if there are three mountain lion cubs, where's mom, you know? I still had, you know, by my best reckoning from the map I had, a mile and a half or two miles ago to get to the bottom of the canyon. And so I spent the next uh, maybe 45 minutes or an hour walking in the dark with my headlamp on and the battery is dying, pretty much like this, you know. <laughs> um, now, this is story is as much about storytelling as it is about mountain lions. Um, I, was, I was thrilled that I had seen mountain lion cubs. I was amazed, right? It was in me, but I was, really was terrified. Uh, and just like, um, yeah, just you can imagine that experience of like every little sound. And then sometimes I would stop. Like I was actually trying to outs outsmart this imagined female mountain lion who was tracking me. I would walk, make some noise, and then... thinking I would catch her, you know, cracking a stick or something, right? <laughs> I got to the bottom. 
Uh, unscathed. It was fine. Everything was fine. I met with the group. We had a cool experience. I told them the story. And I've been telling this story. This is probably 2001. So I've been telling this story on and off for the last 15, 16, 17 years, whatever. And um, the thing I'm realizing that I've realized like lately as I've thought about the story and as I prepared to tell it tonight was I might be full of shit. <laughs> because it was the fall and mountain lion cubs at that point, and I'll ask Neil about this because he knows about mountain lions, probably would have been fairly big, and these were kind of smaller. <laughs> and this is the thing about stories, right? It was so true for me that night. I was scared. I was terrified for, terrified for my life. They were mountain lion cubs for that, for that period of time, and for many years after, until, like, and Neil's part of this because he's a mountain lion expert. He went to Prescott College. And, uh, and I've just thought about this and realized that they probably were ringtails. <laughs> but it was a lovely hike in the dark in a beautiful canyon with lovely people, and I'm grateful for it. Thank you. Thanks, Chad, for telling that story. To pitch your story for a future Raven Narratives event, fill out the contact form on our website at ravennarratives.org. A list of our live storytelling events in 2019 is also on our website on the events page. Subscribe to the Raven Narratives podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and share these stories with your friends. If a particular story makes you laugh, cry, or look at your world with a little bit more clarity, please leave a comment and let us know. Big thanks to our photographer, McCarson Lee of Red Scarf Shots. Check out the portraits of our storytellers on the gallery page of the Raven Narratives website, and be sure to visit her website at redscarfshots.com. And thanks to our fiscal nonprofit sponsor, Mancus Valley Resources. Find out more about the wonderful projects they support in the Mancus Valley of Colorado at mancusvalleyresources.com. The website for buying Raven Narratives tickets, ravennarrativestickets.org, was created by Cortez Web Services. Check out how they can help your business online at cortezweb.com. And our theme music was written and composed by Mo Cooley and performed by Mo and the Motones. Find out more about their music on the Motones Facebook page. That's M-O-E Tones on Facebook.